Blog Talk Radio.
side How could I doubt His tender mercy Who through life has been my guide All the way my Savior leads me Cheers each winding path I Savior. 
hear a roar out of Zion. I hear a cry, saints in Judah forth. I see dark clouds, but I see a light. I see an army of warriors, hope deferred within. I hear a voice saying, can these dry bones live?
All right, well, praise God. Welcome back to another edition of Prayer International Radio. My name is Chris Herzog, and I'll be your host tonight. Just want to take some time to speak to the Lord and glorify His holy name. You know, He's a good God. And He's a living God. And you know, the one thing that sets apart Christianity from all other religions is that our God is still alive. You know, there's many religions and philosophies that acknowledge and honor, glorify men that have come and gone. Christianity places its faith in a God that is still alive. Although we celebrate the resurrections, we celebrate the, the suffering and the death of Christ, which made a way, paved a way for us to have eternal life. We need to just relish in the fact that not only is he resurrected, but he is alive and at work in his people and among his people today. If you're just tuning in tonight, or maybe you've been tuned in, you know, we want to lift up the risen Christ. We want to lift up and glorify the God of the Bible. You know, he is represented in three distinct persons. We call the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father, the Creator in Heaven, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is living and active, moving in the earth today. Now, we know that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is making intercession for us. He's praying. He's interceding on our behalf. That's what the Bible says. And yes, we are followers of Christ. We're Christians, but it's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God that is moving and active in the earth today. He's the one that we're interacting with. You know, Jesus had come and gone around the time of the early church. And although the church was newly birthed, there was a transition time that was taking place. The new covenant was seen as a threat to the Jewish leaders. And there was a great persecution for those that chose to follow Christ. But there's one thing that allowed this new religion, if you will, it's not new to us, what we call Christianity, but at the time it was new. You realize they had no Bible. All they had was an Old Testament. There were very few leaders. There was no support from the government whatsoever. And it's amazing that it even survived. But the one thing that caused the survival of the New Testament church, one thing that caused the survival of these believers in Christ was the power, not just a force, not just a movement, but mighty visible power. You know, these speakers, these preachers, these testifiers of Christ then and even now, the one thing that set them apart from the others is that they were authentic. The way they could tell that these men weren't rehearsing something or making something up is that God confirmed his word with signs following 
you know, Hebrews 2 and 3, I'm sorry, it's chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, says, after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. The way God authenticated his message, the way that God authenticated his messengers was through signs and wonders and miracles. You know, anybody can claim to be a teacher or an apostle, a preacher or a pastor in a newly established church. And even back then, there was tons of people that were claiming this and that. You know, keep in mind, these believers were new to this gospel. They were very naive and childlike, probably very vulnerable, could have easily been misled. But the way God validated his spokesman, the way God validated his spokespeople, his spokeswomen, he sent power accompanying miracles. He backed up what was being said with action. God not only authenticated his message, but he authenticated his messengers. You know, God's alive. He's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, is what the Bible says about his own word. Separating the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's something powerful about the gospel that you will not get from any other book. I mean, this very book can cause an alcoholic to become sober, can cause a drug addict to be free, can cause a sick or unhealthy person to be healed, can cause a, a person that's in poverty to become comfortable or even wealthy, a person that's got anger issues in their life. God can turn their heart, and all of a sudden they are filled with an unending, everlasting joy and a love that surpasses, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. God's Word is powerful. And I think part of the reason we don't have a powerful Christianity in our lives, we're not truly walking in the Word, we're not walking according to what it says, we're not abiding by it, we're not living by it, we're not doing it. And if some of us are, sometimes we're just going through the motions of religion. But I firmly believe if we'll wholeheartedly seek after God, we'll follow what he says, we'll begin to apply the word of God in our lives, then God will truly answer by fire. God truly will answer in power and signs and wonders. Now, we don't follow signs. Jesus himself said, look, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Oh, you have little faith. And we're not commanded to follow miracles. We're not commanded to follow signs. But listen, if if you know your God, the Bible says you'll be strong and do great exploits. That as you declare the word of God, God will confirm his word with signs following so if you're a believer today, you don't follow signs. You don't run after men and women that are 
performing all these miracles and having all these angelic visitations and all this stuff. Now, praise God if they are. Glory to God. But we're to follow Christ. We're to follow his word. And then what will happen? Signs, wonders, miracles, amazing things will follow us. Not in our own strength, not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus. So we're thankful today for the Lord. We're thankful today for what God is doing. And we choose to glorify His name. We choose to glorify Him. He's the only one worthy. God's good. He's a good God. Praise God. Well, we just speak joy and peace and freedom to you, Wendy. Joy and peace and freedom to anyone listening right now. Whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever test, Whatever situation, listen, God is going to turn your test into a testimony. He's going to take the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life, and he's going to use it to get glory and honor. He's going to take your mess and use it to bless you and make it your message. You have to just trust him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he truly will direct your path. It really will. Well, God's good. God is a good God. Father, we just give you praise. We just thank you for what you're doing. Father, we pray your will be done and your kingdom come tonight. We declare your will. Father, as Ephesians 1, chapter 3 through 5 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, just as he chose us, in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, God has a personal, moral, and providential plan for his creation. His plan is personal. His plan is holy. His plan is providential for all of his creation. Maybe you wonder why do you need to discover God's will for your life if you're his child and he's your father. Then why is it so important? Listen, Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Praise God. He's got a will and a plan for your life. 
He's got a personal agenda for your life. He's specifically designed things for you. Yes, God has a moral will in the scripture, a moral plan in the scripture. Yes, it has some do's and don'ts in it. Thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. Yes, that is true. But it's more than that. It's more than that. And we know discovering the will of God at times can be a very frustrating process. But as we seek out his word, in the process of that, we'll seek out his will. And he'll make things clear to us. The Bible says the word of the Lord is clear, giving insight to life. His word is a lamp to our feet. A light to our path. You know, it's God's will that we be sanctified. It's God's will that we live upright. It's God's will that we pray continually, rejoice forevermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. How do we know this? Because the Bible says so. So how do we discover God's will? How do we realize what God's plan is? First, we have to have the right identity. We need to realize we're the children of God. He's our Father. The whole answer to the question is knowing God. How does God make it plain? Why does it seem like such a mystery? Why is there so much tension and pressure? Why is there so much tears among fasting and praying? Why? Knowing God's will. A quote by George Truett says, To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Think about that. Praise God. We're going to break for a song real quick. We're talking about the will of God.
throne of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. Father, we come standing before that great white throne. The throne that's been established from eternity. The throne which is surrounded with transcendent radiance. The angels. The seraphim. Beauty everywhere. The river of fire that flows from your throne. Oh, we love to stand before your throne, O oh God. We love to stand before the throne of God. of divine encounter. be lost in the raging fire that flows from your throne, O oh God. We want to be lost. 
that never goes out. This fire burns. is our inheritance. Oh God, to stand before the great white throne, to be lost in the river of holy fire, holy romance. around your throne, O oh God. The place of an abandoned life, standing before the throne forever and ever.
Praise God. Well, we're back. Just taking some time. You know, we just love to worship. And uh, I see Brother Reno, Sister Wendy. Everybody's in the chat room. And uh, a couple people called in, it looks like. Anyways, I wanted to get into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So let's get into that for a minute. Let's open up in a word of prayer. If you're just tuning in, the call-in number is 619-638-8458. The email address is prayer at prayerinternational.org. And the website is www.prayerinternational.org. All right, praise God. Well, the book of Romans is written by Paul. Course, he was writing to the Romans. Pretty self-explanatory there. So Romans chapter eight, talking about life in the spirit. And it starts out this chapter eight, verse one says, "There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the spirit, not after the flesh." Sorry but after the Spirit. You know, a lot of times we hear that chapter and people say, now there's no condemnation in Christ. But they never finish the the first verse. He clearly outlines and defines the type of life that brings no condemnation. Is this? If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're walking and living an attitude that pleases God, well, then you're not going to be condemned. If you're following the Holy Spirit, following the word and living a life of the spirit, then who can point a finger against you? Therefore, there's no condemnation from man. There's no condemnation from God. So there is a stipulation there. A lot of times people like to just say, now, brother, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Well, that's not true. If you're walking after the flesh, you will be condemned. If you're not living a life that pleases God, you will have some opposition. And for conscience sake, you'll have some struggle. Verse 2 says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What is that saying? Look, if you follow after the law of the Spirit, you'll be free. If you're walking full of the Spirit of God, following the Spirit of God, then sin and death will not have dominion over you. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. What's it saying? Jesus made a sacrifice for our sin. God sent his Son in his own flesh so that he could deal with the sin issue. Now, the law could point us 
to God, and the law could tell us what not to do and what to do, and the law could expose our sin, but the law itself couldn't abolish our sin, right? But what God did is he sent Jesus to deal with the sin issue. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk, what? Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What's it saying? If you're going to live righteous, if you're going to have the law of God fulfilled in your life, then you need to not walk after the flesh, but walk after the spirit of God. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, he clearly makes it real clear right here. Listen to this. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Let me say that again. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, there's a way that seems right to a man, the proverb says, but the end of it is death. Here's the New Testament version. To be carnally minded is death. What's he saying? Look, don't have your mind set on temporal things. Don't have your mind set on earthly, fleshly things, idle things, things that don't matter. But get your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on things above. Why? It brings life and it brings peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. In other words, the minding of the flesh, running after the carnal things, it's, it's God's enemy. It'll make you a, an enemy of God. See, the, the mind, the carnal mind, doesn't want to subject itself to God's law. It's not set up that way. You're not wired that way so that when you're in the flesh or when you're in your own temporal thinking, you don't automatically just get up and say, I think I'm going to please God today. Now, that's a work of the Spirit. That's something God's got to do in you by the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to be born again by the Spirit. That's why you need to be filled and consumed with the Spirit of God. It's not a natural tendency to just want to please God. It's a supernatural tendency. Verse 8. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me say that one more time so you can get that in your spirit. So they, verse 8, so they that are in the flesh, what? Cannot please God. God's not pleased when we're living a life in the flesh. When you're so full of the carnality of the world, you don't even care whether you please God or not most of the time. You're not concerned about God's feelings or the way he thinks about them. Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, You're not in the flesh. He's talking to believers now that have been born again, that have been filled with the Spirit. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, you have to be born again. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of God if you're going to be a child of God. Verse 10. Now, keep in mind, there's only 34 of these, or actually, there's a few more than that, but we'll get through it real quick. I may stop at 34. 
Actually, there's 39, so we may just go all the way. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. What's he saying? There's power in the spirit of God. And God's spirit will quicken your body. God's spirit will strengthen your mortal body. 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What does it mean to mortify the deeds of the body? It means kill the flesh. Kill your carnal tendencies. Put them to death. Crucify them. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, verse 15, again, to fear. See, if you're in fear, God says you're in bondage. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's a Holy Spirit inside of you. If you're a child of God that will cry out, Daddy, that will cry out, Father, it will associate and identify with the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It identifies you with the Father when he's inside of you. Verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. You ever notice that when something's from the Lord, do you usually get a check in your spirit? You usually feel something on the inside of you that lets you know there's usually a peace or some type of moving in your stirring in your soul that lets you know this is of God. And then when it's not of God, you can feel that too. The Spirit itself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. But the saying, look, you're a joint heir with Christ. Whatever God purposed for Christ to have, and this may sound crazy to a lot of people that are religious, what God purposed for Christ to have, he also purposed for you as a son or daughter of the most high God. The same inheritance. The same inheritance. Get that in your spirit. It's not blasphemy. It's not self-righteousness. It's the word of God. What God wanted to do in Jesus, what God wanted to do in Adam and Eve, okay, he wants to do in you and me. Verse 17. Verse 18, sorry. For if I reckon... This good? For if I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, it doesn't matter what kind of hell you go through in this life right now. It's nothing that's going to compare to the glory that's coming later. We must always share in the suffering. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, there's something on the inside of you that waits, that longs to see the manifestation of God in your life. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, verse 20, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in the hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What is that saying? Look, there's a bondage, there's a darkness, there's a separation from God that naturally happens when you're in the earth. But listen, your spirit, something on the inside of you longs to be one with God. Something on the inside of you longs for you to be free in Christ. And God wants you to be delivered from the bondage of corruption and walk in freedom, walk in liberty. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he hope for? In other words, if you already tasted heaven, if you are already in heaven, what would you have to look forward to? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is just a deposit. It's just a down payment on, on the full-blown package. So what you experience now in Christ, what you experience now in the Spirit of God, is just a foretaste of what's coming. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we don't know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes when you don't know what to pray, cry out to God. Sometimes when you don't know what to pray, cry out in the Spirit. Some people that have been given the gift of tongues, pray in tongues when you don't know what to pray in English or whatever your natural language is. If you don't pray in tongues and you don't know what to pray in your natural language, just cry out to God because he hears the longing of your heart. And he that searcheth, verse 27, the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit will pray through you according to the will of God if you'll let him. Verse 28. Now get this, people, because sometimes when life looks like hell and sometimes when circumstances and trials and everything gets kind of tough in your life, this is your hope right here. Listen, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them who are called According to his purpose All things means all things Good, bad, and ugly Whatever you're going through God will use it God will use it According to his purpose Verse 29 For whom he did foreknow He also did predestinate To be conformed to the image of his son That he might be the firstborn Among many brethren What's he saying? Look, before the world was formed God knew Jesus What he's trying to do in the earth is conform us into the image of his son. He's trying to make you Christ-like. 
trying to make me Christ-like. All of them. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What is he saying? Look, he had a purpose. He predestinated before the earth was formed. He had a purpose for you from the beginning. And if he's got a purpose for you, he's going to call you. He's going to draw you. He's going to call you, come unto me. And if he's calling you, and you respond to that call, he'll justify you. He'll make things right in your life. He'll justify you by his blood. He'll justify you by his spirit. He'll bring you into the adoption where you're a son or daughter of the Most High God. And he doesn't stop there, but then he glorifies you. Well, how does he do that? He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He allows you to taste the glory of God. And not just in this life, but in the one to come. Verse 31. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? In other words, what does all this mean? What are we supposed to How do we respond to all that? How do you respond to what you just read? It sums it up like this. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? In other words, look, if God will give you his son, if God will give me his son, if God will wait, let his son lay down his life, how much more is he going to give you? Will not give you freely all things? You're an inheritor of the things of God. Join heir with Christ. Verse 32. I'm sorry, 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Saying Christ is the one that's going to justify you, and Christ is the one that's going to condemn you. It's his power. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted for sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God says you're a conqueror. It doesn't matter how much tribulation or how much distress, how much persecution or famine or nakedness or peril. Like whatever hell you're going through right now, God says, look, nothing will separate you from his love. Now, you can choose to freely walk away. You can choose to run. But the things in life can't separate you. The circumstances can't separate you. Verse 38. For I am persuaded. See, Paul was persuaded. Are you persuaded? Do you have a persuasion? That neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's saying there's no excuses, people. There's no excuses. You can't say, but God, this happened, and so therefore I'm not going to serve you. No, look. No death, no life, no angels, no demons, no principalities, no powers, nothing in this present age, nothing that's coming in the future, height, no death, any other creature can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for you is great. God's love for me is great, all of us. And you can choose that love. You can choose to You can choose to walk in the spirit or you can choose to walk in the flesh. It's all a choice. So God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you want to live carnally minded? Or do you want to live spiritually minded? Do you want to face death or do you want to face peace? Do you want to be a son of perdition or a son of God? Do you want to be a daughter of rebellion or a daughter of the Most High God? It's a choice. Now, Jesus is constantly making intercession for us. Jesus is constantly praying that we'll accept him. We've all been given that choice. We've all been given that right and that privilege. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you're calling us to walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Lord, you're calling us, Lord, to follow you and to follow your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would just reveal to us, Lord, your truth. And, Father, you would give us a heart to know you. Give us the fortitude to obey you. And, Father, let us experience your riches, your goodness, and your love. Father, we just thank you for that peace that passes all understanding. We just give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, this is Prayer International Radio. We're going to sign off for the night, I think. But listen, whatever you're going through, trust the Lord with it. Whatever you're facing, pray. Talk to God. Get his perspective. Get his wisdom. Get his understanding on things. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't trust the wisdom of man. Don't look at things in the natural and cause that to to cause you to react. Look, many times in my life, I judged my circumstances by the natural and I reacted based on my circumstances instead of reacting based on what the Lord said. 
There's two key factors there. First, you've got to seek God in order to hear what he's saying. We've got to pray so we can hear what he has to say. And then when we hear what he has to say, guess what? We've got to obey. So listen to God and ask the Lord to give you a hearing heart and a heart to obey what you hear. Jesus said this. There's two kinds of people. Both have a lot of the same variables in their lives. There's one type of man that heard the word of God and he quoted it all day long but he did nothing to follow or obey it. And Jesus likened him as a man that built his house on sinking sand. There's another man that heard the word of God and he actually, not only did he hide it in his heart, not only did he memorize it and get to know what it said, be able to quote it or whatever, but he did it. He obeyed it. He followed it. And Jesus likened that man to a man that built his house on a rock. Now the same storms came and the same winds blew the Bible says that the man that built his house on sand, the one that did not obey the word of God, said that the storms of life came and great was the fall of it. Sometimes we wonder why great is our fall, why we fall so hard, why we have such difficult circumstances, why compared to some other people in our lives, things don't seem to go right for us. Have you ever been there? I have. I'll tell you what it is. I didn't obey the word of the Lord, and so great was the fall of it. And I bet if you trace your steps, somewhere down the line, God said to do or not to do something, and you thought you had a handle on it. You thought your way was the right way. You leaned on your carnal mind instead of the spirit. Somewhere down the line, it got you in a situation. Can God redeem it? Of course he can. Sometimes does it come with a price? Yes, unfortunately it does. But God can use the good and the bad and the ugly. He says all things, we just read it, all things work together for the good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. My encouragement is this. Read, meditate, and study the word of God. Hide it in your heart, quote it, speak it, look at it, get to know it, become familiar with it, and then take it a step further and start to live it out, start to walk it out, start to do what it says. And God will meet you in the middle of this situation and you'll get glory, you'll get glory out of your life and you'll get the presence and the glory of God in your life. Praise God. This is Prayer International Radio. My name is Chris Herzog, and we're going to sign off for tonight. I know we're a little bit early. The switchboard is down. So I'd, I'd love to close out with some worship, but we're going to just go out tonight on that note.
praying for everybody in the chat room, praying for our listeners and our ministers that are faithfully joining in with us. God bless everybody tonight. We'll be back tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. God bless you.